everybody, and welcome to Project HR, a podcast dedicated to building better workplaces. Project HR is brought to you by IRI Consultants. IRI empowers leaders to prevent and solve mission-critical workforce issues through holistic and sustainable strategies. For more information, you can visit IRI at iriconsultants.com. I am Jennifer Oroqua, Director of Business Development for IRI, and your host for this episode of Project HR. Now, the biggest labor news of the past year, without a doubt, has been the organizing efforts of Starbucks Workers United, an independent union led by Starbucks employees themselves. For many, this was a new concept, but in reality, independent or in-house unions have been around for decades. So how do these unions develop within a company, and how can a company best respond to their advances? Joining me today here on Project HR is Mark Codd. Dr. Codd is not only a good friend and colleague, but he is Vice President and Managing Director with us here at IRI Consultants. Mark, I'm really looking forward to continuing our discussion on this topic. Thanks so much for joining me. Absolutely, Jennifer. It's always a lot of fun uh, uh, connecting with you and the other folks at IRI. So, Mark, I know you identify as a pracademic. Tell me a little bit more about what that means. <laughs> uh, pracademic. Um, well, during my doctoral studies, uh, I began to identify with the academic rigors, and uh, pracademics embrace those very same standards as practitioners within the workplace at IRI. There's a number of others that uh, similarly uh, identify as pracademics. So I know we've all been watching the situation at Starbucks, as well as with Google and the Alphabet Workers Union, Trader Joe's and Trader Joe's United, and other small in-house unions with interest. So why do you think these independent unions are having such a moment right now? Well, I think the current circumstance and what we see within the independent worker movement is one of which post-pandemic, I think we are seeing an increasing need for affiliation. There was uh, a famous motivational theorist named David McClellan uh, back in the late 60s, I think it was, uh, in which um, he developed a theory, a needs theory, that there are humans have three basic needs for power, one for achievement, and one for affiliation. And I, for one, believe that the isolation of the pandemic has created an increased need for affiliation uh, with others. I think that coupled with the social turmoil, which we have seen in recent years, I think has created a movement in search of the institutional manifestation of social justice in the workplace. I grew up in an era where the employment relationship was a, a transactional one at days a day's work for a day's pay. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure I'm not sure for many workplaces that that same transactional relationship still exists in the workplace. And I know you've written and spoken extensively about the need for affiliation, but for clarity's sake, let's just take a moment to talk about what an independent union is, how it's different from what we traditionally think of as a union. One of the biggest differences of the uh, independent worker movement is the lack of the lack of a foundation in the laws and processes of the um, labor regulatory environment. Mm-hmm. So lack of, frankly, it's a lack of experience and sophistication. Uh, it lacks the history of uh, worker representation. So you talked a minute ago about, you know, that that sort of need for social justice, that need for affiliation. Is the embrace of independent unions more of an endorsement of workers' belief in themselves, or is it more of an indictment of, like, national and international unions? Well, I 
I don't believe that the support of independent worker unions is an indictment against traditional organized labor. I think we all do what is familiar and aligning with those in the workplace where they most familiar with rather than a organizer uh, whom which they don't interact with, uh, I think is just much more comfortable to um, to do that which they are most familiar, and mm-hmm. particularly when one's considering this is the most important decision mm-hmm. that an employee will make in their career, because we're talking about retirement, healthcare, wages, and even how they spend their work days. So I think that's an important point: is people just align with those whom they're comfortable with. So going back to that idea of relying on something that you're familiar with, sometimes these national, international unions are more involved with these independent unions than they they might say. So what's happening there? Well, I I think you can appreciate the challenge to these independent worker unions. I mean, it's a rare group of workers that could navigate the requirements of uh, the National Labor Relations Act Mm -hmm. or the Labor Management Reporting Disclosure Act without at least some assistance, particularly since you you violate the LMRDA and those violations entail criminal penalties. So I, I think for all the publicity that we've seen regarding organizing activity with Starbucks Independent Worker Union. Um, What is not often publicized is the assistance in which they are, in fact, receiving from the traditional uh, labor movement. In fact, I was uh, I noted in the very first election at Starbucks uh, in the background of the very first photo after the vote count was Richard Bensinger and to those that have been doing labor relations for quite some time, they'll remember Richard Bensinger um, from the John Sweeney days. And, and mm-hmm. Richard Bensinger, uh, he was the top and most successful labor organizer in the United States. In fact, he was over all of the organized, he was director of organizing for AFL-CIO mm-hmm. during the Sweeney administration. And he was there supporting and continues to provide support to the uh, Starbucks workers as well. So is this all in an effort to eventually merge these in-house unions, incorporate them under a larger umbrella? Well, some of them will gain enough support and become large enough that they may very well become their own union. However, many of them are so fractured and are so independent that they lack the resources, background, experience, and sophistication to navigate and comply with the regulatory agency's requirements. Some of these uh, entail criminal penalties. And so consequently, it's difficult to believe that an independent worker movement uh, could sustain itself without the sophistication and support of the traditional labor movement. Very good. All right, Mark, I'm going to take a quick sponsorship break right now. But when we return, let's talk about why and how independent unions are formed and how companies can best respond. Stay with us. If you've ever been involved in a union organizing effort, you know that a campaign can swallow up internal resources with an appetite like no other issue. You need to be prepared to reach employees in a way that is not only cost effective, but accurate and timely. IRI Consultants Digital Solutions Group understands the challenges of reaching bargaining unit employees and is here to help. Delivery can include not just videos and websites, but social media, texting, podcasts, apps, and more. With IRI's Digital Solutions team by your side, you can keep up with campaign messaging while supporting your direct relationship with employees. 
our consultants will help you craft a comprehensive strategy that promotes employee engagement and supports your positive employee relations philosophy. Contact us today at iriconsultants.com to get started with your digital communication strategy. We're back here on Project HR with Mark Codd, Vice President and Managing Director at IRI Consultants. So Mark, what signs should leaders be looking for when it comes to independent union organizing? What does it look like? I would suggest not only should management, for example, monitor their workplace, but create positive employee relations. And some of the indications that you're looking to see a isolation, a means by which workers are themselves not committed to the organizational values and goals. I think it's important to look for some of the warning signs. And I would suggest some of those include if you're seeing deteriorating job performance, if you're seeing absenteeism increase, Mm -hmm. uh, if you're not seeing people looking for feedback, or if, if you're seeing greater sick leave use, Uh, If you're not seeing people challenge themselves or if you're seeing turnover increasing, these are some of the early warning signs um, that potentially your workforce is no longer committed or sharing the values and the goals of the organization. And there's many reasons why employers, even outside the independent worker movement, should be concerned about those characteristics. Are independent unions less sophisticated when it comes to union procedures? The sophistication of authorization cards, for example, or many of the things that traditional labor unions know to comply with, uh, independent worker uh, unions will sometimes make those mistakes, particularly with regards to making representations or promises as to what can be gained or attained in the collective bargaining process. For example, uh, as we all know, there are mandatory and permissive uh, terms and conditions that one can negotiate in a collective bargaining uh, process and climate change, support to Ukraine, immigration support. These are not items of the collective bargaining process and organized labor typically understands those things. And uh, so that's an indication that one is dealing with an independent worker union rather than a traditional union. So, Mark, let's talk tactics. How are employee-led union organizing tactics different than traditional organizing? Well, first and foremost, in order to understand the independent worker movement, I suggest that HR professionals become very familiar with the traditional organizing Mm -hmm. uh, tactics, et cetera. If they're curious about that, I would recommend watching uh, one film and one documentary. You know, I'm one of my favorites is a documentary called The American Dream. It's an Academy Award winner. Uh, it was a best documentary when it was filmed. It's regarding the Austin, Minnesota Hormel meat strike. It was directed by uh, Barbara Koppel, and it really illustrates the realities of organizing activity in the workplace. And of course, there's always a a lot of HR professionals' favorite, Norma Ray. It's Mm -hmm. the fictionalized account of an organizing campaign in a textile manufacturing plant. Now, understanding the traditional organizing activity, what we're seeing with the independent work movement is it embraces those tactics and more. In other words, there's still a use of authorization cards. That means the, the worker 
um, authorizes the the union, if it is even an independent worker union, to represent them for the purposes of collective bargaining. That's a necessary step in the process because Mm -hmm. the National Labor Relations Board requires that authorization cards be provided in at least 30% of the petition for unit. Independent worker unions, they also have meetings. Um, Whether they have those meetings and, well, the old traditional, you know, local community park or in a bowling alley or one of those, you know, it really depends upon uh, the community. Although I think we all understand that the new interests of the workplace are increasingly utilizing modern tools online for collaboration. Mm -hmm. And of course we all participate in those. And of course, online uh, we see forums for employee comments I'm not going to mention the names of those, but there are many, and especially those uh, which allow for anonymous input. Mm -hmm. Those are the most popular. Although I would say one key characteristic to uh, answering your question is the size of the unit. I think we can all agree if you're attempting to organize a workplace of six people, that's vastly different than if one is trying to organize 600 people. For sure. So I think the size of the unit is an important component of your question. So going back to your point about online and the, the you know, anonymous forums and that sort of thing, are independent union campaigns sort of quieter than traditional ones because their audience is in-house? You know, is there less use of social media? Well, keeping in mind the size of the unit and how difficult it can, can be mm-hmm. to control 600 or so people, uh, the independent worker movement is typically, as I think we are seeing in the news media typically smaller units, Mm -hmm. uh, like in a coffee retail shop. These are much smaller units, and so it's much easier to communicate within the workplace, and it reduces the necessity to have to have uh, other communication mediums that that can be um, more publicly viewed. Mm -hmm. But what about the communities in which these independent union organizers live and work? Should companies that are being organized from within expect more local involvement? Well, it really depends on the community, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, I suggest the answer depends on where in the country that organizing is taking, uh, is occurring, and the nature of the communities involved. For example, you know, I can expect a significantly much different response in San Francisco or Seattle or Portland than one might expect in Houston, Texas. Mm. So, Mark, where do we go from here with independent workers unions? What's coming? What's on the horizon? I think we're seeing an evolution here. I think a lot of people would recognize that what we just went through was an age of affiliation in the last year. And we're about to move into the second phase, and and that's the negotiation phase. And this is a very complex process that requires uh, sophistication, experience, et cetera. So we're going to see whether or not the independent work movement, whether it's capable of actually delivering on their promises. And and workers uh, in some, uh, particularly retail locations, are really counting on this. In fact, I just recently saw... um, an independent worker union, which was formed in April in a coffee retailer in Oklahoma City, formed in April. And here in this October, they've waited. They heard the promises. 
and the frustrations have settled in. And as a result of that, we saw in October that those very same workers that elected the Independent Workers Union, that they have filed a decertification petition to eliminate the representation of the Independent Workers Union. And unfortunately for, unfortunately for those baristas, they're going to learn that the legal processes, the National Labor Relations Board, they're going to learn those the hard way. Uh, their desire to rid themselves of the independent worker union that they themselves voted in, but it's not going to be supported by the National Labor Relations Board. Yeah, for sure. All right, Mark, it's time for another quick break. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to the Project HR Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Oroqua, and my guest today is Mark Codd, Vice President and Managing Director at IRI Consultants. We're back. So Mark, at IRI, we talk a lot about being proactive, getting ahead of workplace issues, and about the power of positive employee relations. So can this strategy help employers get ahead of the formation of an independent union as well as it does for traditional unions? I'm absolutely convinced. And I've actually dedicated my career to the advancement of positive employee relations and the continued and, and frankly, never-ending commitment for workplace improvements. I believe that's the goal of most sophisticated HR professionals. And it is the secret for what makes the best of companies a great place to work. After all, uh, one of the characteristics of a great place to work is, is exactly a shared understanding and a commitment to the values and goals of the organization. And that can naturally satisfy that need for affiliation. I believe that's the challenge to companies today. Mm. The, I, I believe the best of companies, they exist to accomplish more than just net operating profits, but they exist to accomplish a superordinate goal. Uh, I've seen this especially true in the grocery industry, mm-hmm. and it can often exist in small towns where there's like one large employer mm-hmm. who invests heavily in, and that also assumes a responsibility for the community lifestyle and the success of the, the residents themselves. So I think it's a, it's a never-ending commitment to the improvements in mm-hmm. the workplace. So on the flip side of that, you know, should companies educate team members? And by that, I mean both employees and frontline leaders specifically about independent unions, what it means, you know, what you're getting yourself into. Is that something they should be doing as well? Well, keep in mind, the whole concept of unionization is a focus on um, the promises of one side, so- one party, one side to that relationship. And I believe employers, though, have an obligation to be transparent and to share their philosophies regarding unionization in the workplace. It shouldn't be a secret. I think that transparency helps both attract workers as well as influence the behavior within the organization. So yeah, I believe companies not only should, but I believe they've got an obligation to share. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, for sure. So how could companies respond to the presence or the formation of an independent union? Does the response need to differ from the response? Would, would that be for a traditional union? Well, as I've mentioned earlier, the independent worker unions just um, often lack the guidance and support of those who are familiar with the NLRBs and regulatory agencies' processes. So the challenge to employers is not only to address the issue of representation, but also to discuss the logistical processes and help educate the workers themselves in how the process works. I mentioned earlier those Starbucks workers in Oklahoma City. It's unfortunate 
that they did not understand the NLRB processes before mm. they got locked in mm -hmm. to a circumstance in which they're in laboratory conditions now and their wishes are not going to be, um, they're not going to be able to accomplish their wishes because they, their lack of understanding of the processes. Mm -hmm. So employers have to, have to create a shared understanding of the representation process because it can be a very complex process. And as I've mm -hmm. mentioned earlier, in some circumstances can even entail criminal liabilities. And of course, IRI Consultants offers a holistic and strategic approach to labor relations. What does that look like? How can companies take advantage of that approach to get ahead of these independent unions? IRI has been in business for well over 40 years and uh, has been through tens of thousands of campaigns, be it mm -hmm. mitigation, card mitigation campaigns, post-petition campaigns. Its knowledge of the uh, regulatory process is unmatched. Mm -hmm. And so one of the best ways uh, that we often find employers utilize IRI is in a gap analysis and assessing the extent to which an organization is prepared for a campaign. Now, Another way in which IRI assists even some of the most sophisticated employers is serving as an active participant and part of the organization's processes, not just preparing for campaigns, but training managers, as well as a host of uh, all a number of other organizational development processes. So you alluded to just a moment ago the um, the labor relations readiness assessment, which is, of course, our holistic approach to um, every aspect of a company's preparedness for any kind of labor event. What other preventive tools are there? What other things should we be doing and looking at to make sure that we are ready for that? Well, I would suggest with this audience, and I am a member of the audience as well, <laughs> but if, if someone's listening to this, well, I already know that they have to be working for a sophisticated company. They're likely one of the better employers if they're listening to this broadcast. I will tell you, IRI offers not just uh, support of campaign preparation and organizational strategies, but one of the things that I enjoy most is working with the communications in an organization. Uh, what we find is IRI is the communication department for a large number of companies, both employee communications, and we assist in all different communication modalities, podcast, uh, orientation videos, benefits videos. In fact, it's my understanding is that even in some of the healthcare environments that we have filmed some training videos for things like heart surgery and other very unique mm -hmm. medical procedures as an illustration of the role that IRI plays embedded mm -hmm. with some of the most sophisticated companies and their communication processes. For sure. All right, Mark, so tell me, where can we go to find out more about you or about IRI? You know, I'm associated with IRI. So you could find us at iriconsultants.com. You could reach me on LinkedIn under Mark Codd. Uh, but like those listening, I too am a member of the audience. So I could tell you, you can find, uh, well, they're already listening to this podcast. So hopefully uh, you listen to one of my favorite podcasts, and that was um, Project HR's when it covered battling the burnout ep mm -hmm. epidemic. Uh, Jennifer Moss was yep. on there. I took a lot of what I've 
talked about earlier from that podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, if you go to iriconsultants.com, I think I, I earlier mentioned some of the reasons for this disengaged employees. And I think you can find a white paper there. And I earlier spoke about the way we assist our, our clients. And you can find that on, I think we have, a, and maybe Jennifer, you can help me, but I think we've got a new publication, uh, The Art of Labor Relations Readiness. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe yeah. you could mention a word or two about that. Yeah, that's downloadable from the website. That came off of a webinar we did with Nick Monday, where he talked about the labor relations readiness assessment. Um, and so, yeah, that ebook is available on the website at iriconsultants.com. So I want to let everybody know, don't forget that everything Mark mentioned, including how to get in touch with us, how to get those resources, uh, is noted in this week's episode companion guide, which you can grab for free at iriconsultants.com slash podcast. Right now, though, Mark, it is time for our lightning round questions, and I have it on good authority that you might have listened to an episode or two and have been anticipating this moment for quite some time. So at the risk of asking a silly question, are you ready? I am ready, and I have a huge smile on my face. <laughs> I am ready for this most important part of the podcast. It is. All right. So our first question is always a topic showdown. So in this episode, we've been talking about independent unions. So in your opinion, which of these top grossing independent films was better, Goodwill Hunting or The Blair Witch Project? Well, the Blair Witch Project just scared me to death. So <laughs> I'm going to go with the Blair Witch Project. Fun fact, I dated one of the producers of the Blair Witch Project in my previous life. So, <laughs> um, All right. So next question. What is the best book you've read recently? Well, uh, actually, it's a, a book which I'm currently reading. It's a really important one. And it's The Gift of Fear. It's a Gavin DeBecker uh, publication. And uh, it is a book about assisting HR professionals in this era of threats and workplace violence. This is about the mosaic method and the means by which HR professionals can empirically evaluate the seriousness of a threat. And a lot of folks are referencing the Gavin DeBecker method. And so I'm reading The Gift of Fear right now. Interesting, all right. What is your favorite thing about the work that you do? I am uh, and have been an adjunct professor for the last 17 years. And so it's no secret that I, I just treasure and enjoy watching the development of people and assisting in any way in which I can. All right. And what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I differ from some folks on this advice. I, my best, the best advice given to me is develop a passion for what you do well. Um, I know a lot of folks say uh, to follow your passions, and I look at it somewhat differently. I, I feel develop a passion for what you do. I would suggest, however, that there's a couple other pieces of advice that I find that are really important to me. Um, one is my philosophies of you know the people and the processes and profit in that order. And my probably one of my most favorite was the founder of my last employer, who said, begin, the rest is easy. All right, last question, who or what inspires you? I'm gonna say competition, because I, I believe competition, it prompts each of us to be the best that we can be, competition. Thanks so much for joining me today on this week's episode of Project HR, Mark. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much. It's, uh, it's really been a pleasure to be on the other side of Project HR today. Mm -hmm. And I want to thank our listeners as well. Here's a final reminder to unlock your access to this episode's companion guide at iriconsultants.com slash podcast. If you're ready for your Project HR debut, our team is always looking for outstanding guests. Let us know about your expertise by emailing the Project HR team at projecthr at iriconsultants.com. 
Of course, don't forget to subscribe to Project HR. A new episode posts every Thursday. Finally, drop me a line, leave us a review, or give the show a handful of stars wherever you get your content. That's all for this week's episode of Project HR. Let's make it a great day at work. Thank you.